Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. The second Bible reading is on page 834, Colossians 3, commencing at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favouritism, 
Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Thanks, Lisa. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for the people who preserved the scriptures, who translated the scriptures. We thank you that we have money to have Bibles in our hands, and we thank you that we can sit here tonight and know that your spirit will take your word and it will not return to you empty. So please do a good work in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start tonight by telling you a true story about a, a girl called uh, Susanna. Susanna spent the first uh, seven years of her life living in a large house about an hour outside of London. She had uh, three meals a day. She had clothes on her back. She had a bed to sleep in every night. But Susanna lived in an orphanage. She went to the orphanage when she was five weeks old. When she was seven, Susanna's life was totally changed. That was the day that a, a wealthy couple came to the orphanage and they'd been married for 10 years and they spent 10 years longing for children, 10 years of childlessness. And they were there at the orphanage that day because they were going to adopt a child. Susanna tells how she was hiding at the back <laughs> of all these kids, hiding in the corner. Uh, but the wife, the wealthy wife, spotted Susanna and knelt down in front of Susanna and reached out to Susanna and hugged Susanna. And then this extraordinary thing happened. Susanna was told that the couple had chosen her and had chosen her to be their child. You can imagine the, the mix of fear and excitement as Susanna packed up her belongings and putting all her, her toys and her clothes in her bag and left the orphanage, left her old way of life. A new house, new parents, new home. And I don't think Susanna appreciated everything that she'd got until uh, the car drove into this long driveway. It was an absolute mansion in front of her. She had her own bedroom. She had new toys. And she had parents who loved her unconditionally. She actually had a new title. So these wealthy couple were titled. And this little girl became Lady Susanna. True story. Now, Suzanne describes all these amazing privileges. She, she, she'd left an orphanage. She was living in a mansion. <laughs> she was sharing a dormitory with many people. She now had her own bedroom. And she describes her life as Lady Susanna, all the, the luxuries and all the privileges of being in this family. But along with those privileges becomes, comes expectations and responsibilities. Uh, so her new parents, they owned the house. They knew what was best for her in terms of the way that she grew up. And what she found was that when she chose to live according to their ways, their rules, she got to appreciate and enjoy all the benefits of being adopted. She had a choice. She could go back to the orphanage or she could enjoy living life in the mansion. That, that's Susanna's story. And in a way, if you're a Christian here tonight, that's your story, isn't it? That is your story. That you were once an orphan. But God saw you. And God knelt down in front of you and God reached out for you and God hugged you 
And God looked at you and said, I want you to be my son and my daughter. And God chose you. And he took you out of the orphanage. And he placed you in a mansion. <laughs> he placed you in a mansion with incredible blessings. A, a new title, a, a child of God, a new home, a new father. And he's just asking us to, to leave the old way of life behind. He's just asking us to enjoy all the, the privilege of being in the mansion. But along with the privilege become, comes responsibilities because he expects us to live in a way that honors him. And you've got to get this right, friends. As Christians, you, you live the new lifestyle because you've got a new life in Christ. As Christians, we choose to live God's way. We get to live God's way because of who we are in Jesus, not the other way around. If you're here tonight and, and you've just got a list of do's and don'ts and, and rules and regulations, now, as a Christian, I can't do this and I can do this and I mustn't go there and I must do this. If that is your Christian life and it's not based on the relationship that you have with Christ, you will spend your Christian life feeling way down, burdened, guilty, and a constant failure. It's only when you realize that, that God has plucked you out of the orphanages and he's placed you in the mansion. It's only when you realize that you are adopted and you are a child of God that you will get to enjoy living his way. What am I saying? We, we start with who we are, not what to do. We start with who you are in Jesus, your identity not just the obligations. And there are two, two moments in my 42 years where I've had an identity change, you could say. The first moment was the, the 26th of April, 2010. And many of you were there that day. That was my wedding day. That day, my identity changed from a 40-year-old single man to a 40-year-old husband and instant father. Okay. I had a new identity. I was a husband to Rachel. I was a father to Sam. And because I was a husband, I had to stop living as a single man. Okay. I had to stop lying on the couch watching TV till 2 a.m. every night. <laughs> had to stop longing for tuna and pasta five nights a week. I had to stop going for a run whenever I felt like it because I was a husband and I was a father. And with those new, uh, new positions, if you want, came new responsibilities. And it wasn't a chore. It's not a burden to be a husband or a father. It's a joy, isn't it? And of course, I could have chosen to cling on to my old way of life, try and do all the things that I did as a, as a single man. But if I'd done that, then my marriage and my parenting would have suffered. A new life, a, a husband and a father meant a new lifestyle. Uh, the second identity change happened sometime in about May 1990, and that was the day when God adopted me as his son, the day I committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was a day when my life changed. My life did change forever. You know, a sinner became a saint. And a rebel of God became one of the redeemed. It was the most amazing privilege of knowing God as my heavenly father. 
you know, I wanted to live God's way. I wanted to live in a way that pleased him. And yeah, God was very patient with me, <laughs> slowly and very gradually. He just changed my life. It was a joy, <laughs> not a burden. And here's what I found. The more I've understood who I am in Christ, the more I understood who I am as a child of God and all the blessings and all the benefits of being a child of God, the more I wanted to live God's way, the more I enjoyed living God's way. <laughs> and the more you live God's way, the more you appreciate who you are in Christ. You see the headings for Colossians chapter 3? Rules for holy living and rules for Christian households. Cross out that word rules. It's the joys of holy living and the joys of Christian households. Uh, of course, of course, there are, are, are rules that God puts in place, but it's because he wants us to enjoy our relationship with him. We've got two points tonight, a, a new life and a new lifestyle. Let's start with your new life. You've got to start here. Who are you? Who are you in Christ? There's an amazing phrase in verse 3. Look at it with me. He says, you died. Your old life, your sinful nature has died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that amazing? Who are you? You're hidden with Christ in God. What he's saying there is that, is that when, when God looks at you, he doesn't see sinful you. He doesn't see wretched rebel of you. He sees his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of verse 1, you've been raised with Christ. Because of chapter 2, verse 20, you died with Christ. He's saying you died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ, 3 verse 1. And verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Did you see what he's saying? He's saying, saying your, your story your identity is caught up in the death and the resurrection and the return of Christ. You see, the death of Christ is not just an historical event. Of course it's a historical event. When Christ was crucified, when God was loving the world enough to sacrifice his son so that all of us here can know that we're forgiven. That was an historical event. And of course the resurrection was an historical event where the tomb was empty and God is shouting to the world, death has been defeated, life eternal is certain. And of course the return of Christ is an historical event. But, listen carefully, but it's your story and you were there and you were caught up in that event. You know the old spiritual Negro song, were you there when they crucified the Lord? And the answer is yes. You know, I, I was there when they crucified the Lord because of 2 verse 20, I died with Christ. It was my sin that held him there. On that day, my sinful nature was nailed to the cross. Were you there when they raised him from the dead, when the tomb was empty? Yes, 3 verse 1, I have been raised with Christ because I was there at the empty tomb. My resurrection body is certain. And I'll be there in verse 4 when Christ appears in glory. See, that's my identity. I'm hidden in Christ. It gets even better down in verse 12. Excuse me, I'm all bunged up. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. 
Isn't that extraordinary? The language that God used to describe his people Israel, chosen by God, set apart for God, loved by God. He looks at his church, he looks at you, looks at me and says, that's how I see you. I've chosen you, verse 12. I've plucked you out by my grace. I I had a a good friend at school who was adopted and he often used to say, uh, my parents chose me. That's how much they loved me. That's you, chosen by God. Holy or set apart. That's how God sees you. And look at the next word, and dearly loved. A lavish love, an extravagant love, a selfless love. Please never say that nobody loves you. The Bible says God loves you with a a dear love, an extravagant love. And I need to keep reminding myself of this. You know, sometimes I, I'm so obsessed with being a, a husband and a father and a friend and a pastor that Christ almost gets squeezed out. And I have to acknowledge sometimes I, I do doubt. Has God really chosen me? Am I really loved by God? Because I know what a wretch I am. And then look again at the cross and I say, yes, of course he has. Who am I? Hidden in Christ, holy, chosen and dearly loved. And because of that, verse 1, I set my heart on things above. He calls us to set our, our, our control center of our life, our heart, not on this world, but on things to come, where Christ is seated in all his power and his glory and his honor. And set your minds, verse 2, fill your mind, consider, think about things that are not earthly things, but are heavenly things. How do you do that? How do you keep on reminding yourself who you are in Christ? It's not rocket science. By far, still the best way of reminding yourself daily who you are in Christ is what? Bible and prayer. <laughs> Open the word, discover who Jesus is, and look at these wonderful truths and say, that's me. Who am I? I'm hidden in Christ as a chosen, holy, dearly loved child. And when you've got that, when you've understood who you are, your new life, the rest of the chapter makes sense. I love the way that Paul does this. He's saying, I'm about to tell you all these things that you must do and mustn't do. But you know there's no way you can do this without Christ at work in you? There's no way you can keep these rules unless Christ is at work in you. What's your new lifestyle? Four areas. The first area is your sex life. Your new life in Christ will transform your sex life. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says, put it to death. Kill it. Uh, He he doesn't say wound it. You You know, in those movies where the evil character gets wounded, and you think he's dead, but you know he's not, because <laughs> right in that last scene he comes back to life for the sequel. No, put it to death, kill it. He said, let's talk about sex, shall we? It's amazing how often Paul talks about sex. And I think he starts with sex because we are sexual beings and we need God's wisdom. He says, put to death your earthly nature, sexual immorality. That, that word is porneia. It's the, the broad word of all improper Sexual activity outside of marriage. Put it to death. 
Say no to marital unfaithfulness. Say no to sex outside of marriage. Put to death impurity, your sexual misbehavior. Put to death your passions and your lust. Put to death your long, evil sexual desires and your warped sexual desires. Put to death your greed. They're all, they're all linked to sex. Your covetousness for more and more sex, which is idolatry, because you're living for self. The verse 6 we don't like, do we? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. I don't mishear me, there's grace and there's grace and there's abundant grace, but your new lifestyle means a radical change in your sex life. If you're married, faithfulness. If you're not married, celibacy. I, I was thinking, it's extraordinary how quickly times have changed, isn't it? Now, 30 years ago, I could stand here and preach that marriage is a great gift to be, sorry, sex is a great gift to be used in marriage. And most of the world would say, yeah, that's right. But today, when we say sex is for marriage, we, we're labelled as bizarre, cruel, curbing people's happiness. Sex is a great thing, a good thing, a powerful thing, but when it's misused, it can cause great harm. And I love pastoring this church where I see people striving for purity, striving for faithfulness. And I go, yeah, that's the work of Christ in them. Your new life means a new sex life. Your new life transforms your speech life. I see Paul treats your speech, your words, just as seriously as he treats sex. Verse 8, you must rid yourselves. Uh, that word means put it in the garbage trash. Uh, don't put it in the wardrobe where you know it's there. You can, you can pull it out at a later, get later date. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And please don't lie to each other. He says, make sure that your words are not full of that wrath and punishment and anger. Make sure that you're, you're not flying off the handle in rage and verbally abusing people. As a child of God, make sure your words are not malicious, speaking ill of others, those nasty, hurtful, hasty, malicious words. And As a child of God, make sure you're not slandering. Please make sure that you're not damaging the reputation of another person by your words. The filthy language. And please make sure, verse 9, that you tell the truth that you don't lie to each other. Isn't that a challenge? Isn't that a challenge? I, mean, I, I know the words that come out of my mouth. You know, the, the hasty words that I speak in the heat of the moment, and once it's out there, you can't take it back. Or the carefully chosen words that you know will cause the greatest hurt and the greatest harm. And God gave us words, God gave us speech, not to lash out at each other, but to build each other up, to express kindness, and to encourage one another. And again, I love seeing the power of Christ at work in people. I love seeing when people come to faith and God changes their speech. A new life means a new sex life, a new speech life, thirdly, a new church life. It transforms the way that we relate to each other here at church. Uh, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, church, come on, clothe yourselves. As you wake up each day, you've got a daily choice. What type of clothes are you going to put on? Uh, people spot your clothes, don't they? They, they? they see your clothes. Well, people see your character. 
And make sure you're putting on these clothes. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Come on, church. Be compassionate towards each other. Have a heart like God's. Show kindness in word and in deed. Please don't be proud. Please don't think it's all about you. And please be gentle. It's a beautiful quality, gentleness. Where you're not being assertive, but you just consider other people and their needs. And rather than fly into rage and seeking revenge, put on patience. Put up with the wrong. And verse 13, you bear with each other and you forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Isn't Paul realistic? People in church are going to hurt you. People in this church are going to annoy you and disappoint you and wrong you and wound you deeply. If you're in Christ, what's the response? You bear with one another. You don't give up on each other. And you don't hold the grievances, verse 13. What do you do with the grievances? You forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That God forgave us and make sure that marks the way that you treat other people at church. Uh, oh, but Paul, <laughs> what about that person who keeps on hurting me? What about that person who keeps on wronging me? What would Jesus say? How many times do you forgive them? Not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Just keep on forgiving. Let me put this as bluntly as I can. We cannot have a church full of bitter, hurt, grudge-holding people. <laughs> you know, there's churches where you walk in and they've got two people and they say, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so and so-and-so. They haven't spoken for 10 years. And they treat it as though that's okay. It's not okay. You've got a new life in Christ and that means that you actually work hard at forgiveness. How are you going to do that? Well, you put on love, verse 14. Over all these virtues, you put on this overcoat called love because when your feelings are wounded and when you've been hurt you put on love because love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy and love does not boast and love is not proud and love is not self-seeking and love is not easily angered and love keeps no records of wrongs let me ask you would you like to belong to this kind of church let's read verses 12 to 14 again I'm going to read it in the negative. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with arrogance and selfishness and pride and brashness and harshness and impatience. And make sure that you hold on to your grudges and grievances and you withhold forgiveness and over all these vices you put on hatred. Would you want to belong to that kind of church? What's the new lifestyle that God demands of this church? He tells you, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in, this, in your hearts, since as members of one body you're called to peace. It's not that inner peace. He said, you have peace with God, so make sure you have peace with each other. Make sure you strive for that unity and that peace. And verse 16, you, you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
the word about Christ, the gospel, it, it dwells in your hearts and you think, I've been forgiven, so I need to forgive that person. And the word of God that teaches you and admonishes you, verse 16, but it's not just the sermons, you teach and admonish one another. You talk about God, you share the word with each other, you build each other up, and then you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You know, as we sing, we're actually singing scripture to each other. As we sing, we're singing about God to each other. We remind each other of the forgiveness and the peace that we have with God. And that helps us to do verse 17, that whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, that's a mark of, of a church where we have new life in Christ, that we're thankful, that we are grateful, and we bear all these amazing virtues and character traits. And don't you just love when you see that in church? People oozing compassion, people showing kindness, people working hard at reconciliation, often painful forgiveness. That's the mark of new life. Lastly, it transforms your family life. We're running out of time, so I'll do this very quickly. He said, if you're a wife, you submit to your husband. You respect your husband. You don't belittle them. You don't slander them. If you're a husband, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's sacrificial and selfless and put their knees above your own. And please don't be harsh with them. If you're a child, you obey your parents in everything, not, not because they tell you, but because that's pleasing to the Lord. And if you're a father, please don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. The one thing I, I struggle with most is, is when I hear a father say to their child, you loser, or do better next time, or why didn't you come first? And then we're surprised when these kids are discouraged. Uh, when you see a father say, well done, my son, I, I love you. That's what the gospel does. If you're a worker, verse 22, you obey your earthly masters in everything. And if you're a, a master, if you're a boss, 4 verse 1, you provide your slaves what's right and fair. And again, I see it in our church, just totally transformed family life. Husbands and wives working together well, parents and children, workers and bosses. And that's what the gospel does. See how radical this is? If you've got your new life, you have the joy of living a new lifestyle. Yeah. I'm guessing there were times when Susanna thought about her old life. And I'm sure there were times when her new parents frustrated her. And she thought, why, why, why? But do you think she ever went back to the orphanage? Of course she didn't. You've got a new life. You've been taken out of the orphanage. You've been put in a mansion. You have the joy of living God's way. And let me speak very personally. I think I spent the first five years of my Christian life way down, burdened, feeling a failure because I love rules. I'd keep journals. I'd keep lists. I had accountability partners. But what I didn't have was this, this deep security and identity in Jesus. And when I found that, there I found it wasn't just rules, it was a joy. The joy of living God's way. And that's my prayer for us as a church. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the joy of living your way. Thank you that we get to 
to live these precious lives, enjoying all the benefits of being your precious children. Thank you that we died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. Thank you that we will appear with him in glory. And thank you that you see us as chosen, holy and dearly loved. In his name. Amen.